Welcome to the Salem Emerging Leaders Podcast, presented by the Salem Area Chamber of Commerce. Here are your hosts, Jacob Espinoza and Zachary Zalicki. We are back at the Salem Emerging, the Salem Emerging Leader Podcast. That was probably the worst one. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's bottom. I mean, if bottom this is marketing, barrel. we got to improve that jingle a little <laughs> yeah, bit. <absolutely. laughs> it's funny, I was just listening to the Garrett one, and we're like, I was like, that's top five, that's top five jingles right there. Yeah, then I come back with this one, and it was the worst jingle. It wasn't wasn't the greatest, but you know, th- just room for improvement. You know, room for improvement. Yeah. And speaking of room for improvement, I think a lot of companies out there have room for improvement with marketing. And so, <laughs> who right. who better than uh, Tori Van Cleve to come, marketing manager, Mountain West Philanthropy? Tori, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate this. This is my uh, first ever podcast, so it's very exciting. It is kind of cool that we've been able to highlight so many people in Salem that have never been on a podcast before, but are doing incredible things, have a wealth of knowledge to share, and we have the opportunity to highlight them. So I feel so fortunate that we get to you know, talk with individuals like, like you, Tori, every... We're doing a couple a week now, and it's always, it's always nice kind of bringing experts in and getting an upload on, on new information and new ideas. I do like that we're moving to a twice a week cadence. Yeah. I think it's sustainable too. We're, we're connecting with people that are great. The editing process isn't isn't too too much of a lift. I think if we move to video in the future, then we'll have to kind of maybe need an additional person to help or additional resource on board there. But yeah. it's a lot of fun connecting. And so Tori, we're building this new nonprofit. It will eventually be called the McLaren Foundation. And so I've been thinking a ton about how do we get the word out um, before we uh, started recording, you shared that a lot of marketing is creating the narrative. Yeah. So what are some things that you know, our nonprofit, but just businesses in general can be doing to create this narrative for themselves? But then also, why is it, why is it important? Why is there value there? Oh, good question. Um, so, you know, for me, marketing is so much more than just sales, the bottom line. You know, like we were saying, you know, it's really, it really is about crafting that narrative, building that narrative. Um, People are always going to have a story or tell a story about your business or about your nonprofit, whatever your organization might be. Um, you want to be the ones to help craft that and to help tell it. Um, people are going to, you know, talk about you know, no, no matter what. So, um, it's important that you be the one to help build and guide that narrative and make sure that the story that's being told about you is the story that's true and genuine and um, really represents who you are. What are examples of a few brands? It can be local or it can be national, but brands that you feel do a good job of of creating the narrative. And then, what are some things that they do to to accomplish that? Okay, some good good examples there. Um, I think we Salem is really fun because I think there are. I I grew up in the area, so I remember when um kind of that like revitalization of downtown. Um, and I remember going through the pandemic and maybe it's a little too on the nose, but being here, but with the Salem Eats page, I think that's been such a fun way to see people start to share some of these really personal stories. And they weren't even narratives necessarily that the businesses themselves started putting out. It was their customers. And I thought that was so fun to see kind of that, that really in action of people sharing what they thought was special about all of these different restaurants and businesses. So maybe it's a cop-out answer, but just seeing locally, you know, how many wonderful places there were and stories that people wanted to share. And, you know, it was kind of this revitalization of 
branding from really a, a grassroots level. And I thought that was an excellent example of that. But I think a lot of that really happened during the pandemic of mm-hmm. this return to, you know, your story is important when it comes to marketing and really that connection that you create with whoever your target audience or your target market is, is so important. And I think the pandemic really highlighted that. Um, it was all about that personal connection again. And that was a something that Zach, that was kind of Zach's brainchild from my understanding. That was before my time at the chamber. But yeah. do you want to share a little bit about that, how, the creation of that? And yeah. Because it, it did, it just blew up. Yeah, yeah, that it was it was insane. I, I actually remember the day and the time almost like it was yesterday. It was uh, March seventeenth. Um, it was the day that the governor announced that there's going to be shutdowns the following mm-hmm. Friday. And I come from a restaurant family. Um, I'm sure, Kasha will never forget that going forward. Um, <laughs> Always give her a hard time. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I worked in the restaurant industry for eight years, and you know, people that work in that industry or, or that own you know, restaurants, I think, are cut from a different cloth because you don't go and do it to make a bajillion dollars and you do it because you love it. And with the shutdowns coming and, you know, having no, you know, indoor dining, the idea was, well, initially it actually wasn't what it came to be, which is kind of cool. I think it developed into something much better. I looked at it as a way to connect with consumers and the restaurant owners to mm-hmm. say, this is like, we're doing takeout, we're doing delivery. These are the specials we have just a way for people to go and see what's available. Um, and we put some pretty strict rules on like, let's just be positive. Uh, and there's been a lot of backlash about that for some reason, you know, in a time of, of pain for communities, people are like, let's just be negative. And it's been frustrating. But yeah, I remember that night, uh, it was like seven o'clock. Uh, I went into Tom's office and I was like, dude, we're at like 90, 90 people. And we created it. At, it was created officially at 2.56 PM. So in five hours, I got 90 people. And over the next few days, I mean, it was just like we grew to 5,000 in like a week. And yeah, it's been it's been pretty awesome. And seeing the the love that people have for for their local restaurant community. And I think that's something that you did well is you helped you created an environment where community can be built. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of what we're seeing in trends in marketing right now is that it's kind of evolving past this like try to find a mass audience that's more about like Let's bring people that are like-minded together and give them a way to connect and yeah. provide resources to support them. You know, one of the things too, it, it was funny right after, probably like a couple weeks after, a month after, I had a couple people reach out. They like wanted my advice on how to create something like that. And I said to them, I was like, look, I'm, I'm by no means a marketing whiz, like very elementary understanding and knowledge of marketing. It literally was just good timing. And I think it was a good enough idea at the right time that it blew up. But I mean, I can't really take credit for it you know, too much. It's really the community that came together and, you know, kind of like you said, like it's, you know, the people in the community really driving it and pushing it forward. That is marketing though, right? Like I always say like it's, you know, it's matching, you know, I was talking with Jacob before this, it's matching the right people up with Mm -hmm. the right messaging tools, service, whatever it might be, you know, in the right way at the right time. Yeah. That's the heart of it. And so, you know, when you have those components and timing, kudos to you. Yeah. It was cute. I'd say kudos to the community for, for really diving into it. I It's hard for me to take too much credit for it. I simply, you know, it took me 15 minutes to create a Facebook page. It's really the community and everybody else that, that really drove it. But thank you anyways. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. That. There was clearly a need for it. Yeah. So. so for the businesses out there that are trying to rethink, like, how do we do marketing differently? We have this approach. We have our Instagram page and we post pictures, but they want to do more. Like, what, what are some things they should be thinking about? Yeah. So I... 
something that I think gets overlooked a lot right now in the age of kind of digital marketing and, you know, social media content. Um, when I think businesses will sit down and, you know, maybe it's a no brainer for them that they create, you know, a strategic plan, you know, some kind of three year, five year plan looking forward of, you know, from a, a logistics side of things, you know, this is kind of our business plan. Um, along with that needs to come a marketing and communication strategy. You know, that should be built into your strategic plan. And like we've been talking about, you know, that includes your narrative. You know, who are you as a business? Um, you know, what kind of story are you going to tell? What kind of not just services are you going to provide, but connection are you going to have with your target audience? Um, so really sit down and, and be intentional about crafting that plan. Um, I think lots of times people you know, we were talking about this earlier too, Jacob, you know, they sit down and they, they think, okay, here's the kind of social media content I'm going to toss out. I'm going to have a few ads on Facebook and, you know, that can be really helpful and great depending on your kind of business or organization. Um, but there's so much more to it than that. Um, when you're trying to build that human connection, um, you know, look beyond just what's on the screen that, you know, it's whether it's print content, because, you know, that's not out of style. There is, there is worthwhile, you know, endeavors there on, on the print side of things too. Um, but it's also just getting out into the community. It's, it's that networking. I can't stress enough how much it means in this era, right? Post pandemic to show your consumers or, or the people that you're trying to serve in the case of a nonprofit, right? That you care. Go talk to them, see what they need, what they want. Um, you can't always do that behind a screen. Data can be really helpful, you know, analyzing, you know, whatever your metrics are, um, but it can't replace actually going out and talking to people and listening to them. Um, and I think a big part of it, too, is, I mean, even to some degree, getting involved. You know, we we had our, our Emerging Leaders Summit. One of the things that we focused on was getting involved as like a, a young business professional, getting involved on a board yeah. or getting involved with a nonprofit to some degree, because you talk about networking, that's just a natural part of getting involved with a nonprofit. You also have like that passion aspect of it. So, you know, you're investing time, energy, and money, you know, with your personal brand, which is always, you know, a lot of times associated with your company. So you have that, you know, increased bandwidth as well. Mm-hmm. And that's why I th- one of the things I think, you know, Mountain West has done an absolutely incredible job with, you know, they're sponsoring every big event and, you know, they have incredible people working there. So... Thank you. We, yeah, I'm lucky to work for the with the team I do and for the people I do for sure. Yeah, um, I took kind of a a non traditional path to marketing. My background's actually in I got degrees in history and anthropology. Oh, nice. And then yeah, a minor in writing and communications, which is you know where the bulk of my career has gone. <laughs> I feel like that's maybe not so unusual, I guess though. Um, but yeah, that that anthropology background has been so interesting because I've actually used it all the time in marketing, right? It's just, it's the study of culture and people Mm -hmm. of why, why we do the things we do, why we think the way we do, why we have, you know, the, the cultural norms um, that we do and being able to look at marketing from that perspective is really interesting because it, it truly is. It's, it's beyond the numbers, right? It's the people behind the numbers and I think there's been such a trend in kind of modern marketing practices to just look at those numbers. And while they're helpful, yeah, it's it's all about the people behind it and the connections. I think that I hear that a lot from business owners when things aren't going great is you almost blame the customers. Like, well, yeah. they don't get it. 
and I think even at the chamber sometimes like I'm, I'm I'm not you know not guilty of it I've done it myself as well but it's like well they don't get it it's it's their fault and at the same time like you have to reflect as a business owner that if this is the person you're trying to serve instead of blaming them like spend time really listening to them and understand what are the needs that they have that aren't being met and how do we make changes to help uh, help address those needs um, at T-Mobile, I was able to see an incredible transformation before I joined the chamber. I worked there for 13 years, and the CEO at the time, John Ledger, had this same saying that I loved, which is, if you want to build a successful business, listen to your customers, listen to your employees, shut up and do what they tell you. <laughs> and you really can break it down to be that easy, right? A lot of times, I think there's people have like big asks that can't be accomplished. But if you like drill down on the ask and like why the ask is important, you can probably find some easy wins that help you stand out from your competition. Yeah, definitely. I um, I used to like right out of college. Well, I guess in in the summers during college and then right out of college, I worked for um the Kaiser Chamber of Commerce actually briefly. Um, okay. I was doing some newsletter work for them. Really random. Um, but like we said, right, you have ties to this community, you just always come back. Um, yeah, and and one of the things that I was supposed to be doing was simply to share with our members, you know. Uh, events that were happening that were, you know, uh, some of our member organizations, events that they had, you know, any kind of special sales, that kind of thing. I was just sharing that information. Well, realized like nobody was opening or reading those emails, right? It's just a, you know, standard weekly newsletter. Nobody's opening them. Um, and I just, I started chatting with people at, you know, greeters events and, and different things that we had. And there were really cool stories that people had to share. And so I started every once in a while, you know, featuring, I put a little narrative at the beginning um, and start telling a little bit of those stories. And then I started telling a few of my own stories once I was at college, you know, silly things that were happening that week that, you know, somehow I'd find a way to, to tie into another event that was happening. Um, and engagement skyrocketed because people were looking for that. You know, it's, if you take a moment and kind of almost ethno ethnographic research, going back to the anthropology side, but, you know, you go in, you spend time with the people that you're trying to reach and you find those patterns and see, you know, what, what do they want? Yeah. Something that I did um, for a blog a while ago was called the Be Out Here magazine. And we started getting traction because we would, we had this like seven questions with this person and we'd have some like, kind of local celebrity type of people it was really focused on like the hip-hop scene but we also would just feature whoever wanted to fill it out and so people just on facebook that i knew like hey do you want to do these questions and so they'd answer it they share the link with their friends it kind of became this community of people that were like i'm part of this thing now like you know like my name is on the website i have a link that i can share with my friends like i'm part of this so i'm not just a consumer i'm somebody that actually is an active participant and I think, I mean, just to your point, it kind of helps craft the narrative, right? People like telling their stories. So as brands, like one layer is like figuring out how do you tell your own story, but also allowing other people to tell their story and build that community. Yeah. Showing, I think, something that, you know, particularly maybe not as much on the nonprofit side, but on, you know, more of the corporation side, people sometimes are afraid to show that humanity. And that's that's the best part of who we are as people and as a society. And, and part of that should show through in your business, right? Is just being a little, little bit vulnerable and allowing, you know, giving the space for others to do the same and, you know, showcase who they are. That's, that's so special. And the, the interesting thing is the more, more vulnerable you are, the more people that connect with you, because 
they see this. Like I struggle with that too, even though it feels so uncomfortable sometimes to like share that you're struggling with depression or you're worried that your business is going to go bankrupt because we kind of always want to project this image of success and victory. But in reality, that's not what people connect with. I think especially not now. People kind of have this understanding of when something's BS, like they can tell pretty quick. And when somebody's really opening up and like being truthful and speaking their truth, people connect with that. But it's so hard. Like the hardest thing in life is like being yourself. <laughs> like we all just want to like be perceived in a certain way. We have all these things that like lies have been told us to us about ourselves that we start believing and just like figuring out how do you just be genuinely who you are is so hard. But once you figure that out, it's just, it seems like sky's the limit. Yeah. Authenticity is very powerful. I think not only for connecting just as who we are as people, but it's also a big selling point, to be honest. Like people, like you said, can tell when you're being authentic and genuine and they can really tell when you're not. I, I think especially from a marketing aspect, one of the things I've learned you know, talking with a bunch of members in my two years here is hearing the stories behind people and the struggles that they had to go through uh, and to, to get to where they're at now. And maybe they're not at this place of like success that, you know, most people see making millions of dollars a year, but to them, you know, they're making it a buy and making a living doing what they're doing. And those stories have always seemed to be like the most well-received ones from, you know, our members and different people in the community. Um, so it's, it's really just being a human and people seeing a business and saying that owner, the individuals that work there, they're just like me kind of aspect. So we're building this nonprofit. We need to create some sort of a marketing plan. What are some things we should, we should be doing and how do we even get started with that? Yeah, I think first of all, you kind of look at who, figure out who your, your target audience or target market is, Right. And in this case, so it's... are saying we can't just have... Every, we want everybody to be part of it. We can't just always. do everybody. Yeah, everybody. <laughs> I mean, you can build to that, right? But you got to segment a little bit. Um, so figure out who your primary audience is, right? And that might be um, maybe the group you're trying to serve. Um, and then, you know, you also have secondary and tertiary groups that you're trying to reach. So that's, you know, other community members. So people who might be potential donors or, you know, and that doesn't even mean necessarily just funding. It's of their time, depending on what your nonprofit is, right? So you've got all these different layers um, and you've got to be able to tell your story in different ways to those different people um, because you got to recognize that they have different needs and different interests. And so I think figuring out who your audience groups are is really important. And I think lots of times there's a tendency to just lump them all together and you really have to craft a different strategy for those those different groups. Um, and along with that, I think you can learn a lot of lessons by chatting with and just observing the other nonprofits that are in your same sector or trying to serve your same target market, basically. Um, especially in the nonprofit sector, I think there's, uh, I mean, there's there's competition sometimes there because you are competing for the same funding dollars, um, but there's this desire to really be helping the people that you want to help and serving the people that you want to serve, and you guys might be there for the same exact purpose, right? And trying to do the same wonderful things. Pool your resources. I think that's something we're trying to do at Mountain West is to encourage these groups, especially in the nonprofit industries, you know join together and see how much you can collaborate and share because you can maximize impact and maximize efficiency in ways that we're not. We have wonderful, amazing, you know, organizations in this area. It's, it's pretty incredible. 
but why aren't we collaborating more? Why aren't we sharing these, you know, these are finite resources and finite funding. We're, we're not a major city, right? So how, how can we maximize the impact that we're trying to have and really help the people that we're trying to help and build a better community? We do that by collaborating. So I think looking to the people that are already doing the things that you want to do and learning from them, um, that's also a, a step that shouldn't be skipped. I think there's one of the <clears throat> kind of key, you know, nonprofit uh, service-based uh, groups that I think that falls under is like the different organizations that are helping, you know, the friends and neighbors on the street. I, I've talked with uh, Dan Clem a number of times at the UGM. I talked to Sam Skillern, who's kind of has his hands a little bit everywhere in this. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things I've stressed to him and he stressed right back is, like there's so many of these amazing organizations, like you're saying, trying to do the right thing to, you know, help people get out of this life that they're in, but they're all coming at it from a different, you know, different, you know, kind of angle at it. And exactly what you're saying, like everyone just seems like they're siloed trying to do the same thing. There needs to be this push to say, you know, let's find like a structure where we have low barrier, low barrier shelters that, you know, and then we have like a, a, a way to, you know, get some individuals you know, a job or the resources they, that they need to go and transition to a place like UGM, which is a high barrier uh, organization. There needs to be, I, I, that's one that is just so blaring to me. And talking with business business owners that are investing into various different nonprofits that are focused on this issue, I ask them like, what, what makes you invest into this nonprofit, you know, that are focused on helping the homeless as opposed to another one? And some, sometimes they, the answers are just so much different. It's like, well, it's because they're approaching it this way or that way. But the results, it just seems like everything's getting worse. But if exactly what you're saying, if there's this collaboration, it's like, I think that's the next big step that we can come to, to, you know, help alleviate this issue in Salem. Yeah, we're, we're actually trying to work on that right now through one of the um, initiatives that we have at Mountain West. Um, not to put a plug in, sorry. Throw but- as many plugs in as you want. <laughs> plug away, that's over here, yeah. yeah. Um, but the Community Business and Education Leaders Collaborative, really long name, we'll shorten it to Seabell. Um <laughs> Seabell is working on basically being a community convener for these organizations that exist. Um, they have like collective impact initiatives, basically nonprofits that already exist that they're trying to help support. Um, and they do that by bringing these community leaders together. And that's, you know, I, I think lots of times nonprofit leaders will get together and chat and they might do it individually with their donors. But so rarely do we have people from all different facets of the community coming together, trying to tackle these issues, right? Um, Like our unsheltered community, how do we best serve them? Or, you know, maybe workforce development or, you know, just general neighborhood community health. Um, That's one of the things we're trying to do is really be focused on like on a neighborhood level, listening to those lived experiences and making sure that you know, it's not just like a top-down decision-making process where we do have these organizations, like you said, that are taking it from so many different approaches, right? And I think too often we come at it from the perspective of we've seen this research, you know, wherever across the world or across the nation, it sounds great. This is what we need here. This is what you need. I'm going to help you by doing this. Yeah. Um, and that's not always the right approach. You know, maybe that's not what that particular neighborhood or community needs. We're not necessarily listening to the people who are living through those experiences and those challenges right now. Um, so what we're trying to do is bring those, the voices of those lived experiences to the table 
and to the table than bringing everybody else who's trying to work on these same challenges and community issues. Um, because you're right, too often, I think we're just, we're coming at it from all these different angles and trying to solve this problem. And it's just like throwing darts at the board and nobody's hitting the target. One of the, one of the really fascinating things too, and I, I think what's so incredible about this, the Seabell group is that like on the issue of homelessness specifically is that this is something that occurs like early on in people's lives normally when mm-hmm. i when i was working for uh selma remember every, uh once every two weeks we'd go down to marion square park and she just want to talk with with these individuals and be like i want to hear your story and she's like i don't need cameras you know and shoot a video of it like I, she just genuinely wants to know and one of the most common things i heard was one of the common denominators was there are so many individuals that came from the foster care industry mm-hmm. or from, the, you know, foster care uh, growing up. And I thought that was so fascinating. So when you look at that as being kind of a root cause, not the root cause, but, you know, kind of a, again, a common denominator um, for what kind of perpetuates into this, you know, to being homeless, getting, you know, the organizations that are focused on helping foster care kids and helping give them the best opportunities uh, and abilities to go out and not become just another number, you know, to, you know, to our friends, neighbors on the street. And I think that's, that's what's so incredible about a group like this is you can really get down to the nitty gritty and find that collaboration through the whole, the whole scope of what, you know, kind of turns someone or creates, you know, homelessness. And I think if you're running a, a nonprofit, or your CEO of a business, like you're always putting out fires. Yeah. But taking a step back and thinking of long term, like how do I create a marketing strategy? How do I partner and collaborate? It's just hard to find time for that. So I think it's awesome having somebody like Mountain West kind of coming in and facilitating that conversation and making it much easier and having some structure. So it's not a bunch of people coming to the table and just like sharing ideas, which I think there's value for, but it's I think that's generally what meetings become, but it's not always a very efficient meeting like every meeting can't be a brainstorming meeting so having somebody come in and provide structure is a big deal yeah definitely and uh maybe another shameless plug here but (laughs) you know jacob you know like we're talking about that at at our leadership institute at groundwork right now you know it's if you want to be you know an accountable effective leader you can't be problem solving all the time right you've got to give people the tools and the resources that they need to be able to problem solve themselves and on a much, you know, larger scale, that's part of what we're trying to do, you know, through Mountain West Philanthropy is give people the resources and the tools in our community to be able to problem solve themselves to, um, you know, part of the like, you know, trauma informed care shows us that when you are facing these incredibly difficult challenges and you're under so much stress, you can't, you know, every problem is, is a major problem and you can't focus on anything beyond that. You're stuck in this like fight or flight response, right? So p- giving people the tools and the environment that they need to be able to put themselves under less stress and be able to focus on, you know, other, other things about their lives basically, um, makes such a huge difference. 100%. Yeah, I think that's something else with uh, with businesses. People are wearing a lot of hats, and sometimes they'll add the marketing hat mm-hmm. onto somebody's already job. Like it might be right, sales, but you're also doing marketing. Or, hey, niece, you're 16 and you have an Instagram page. <laughs> yeah. Can you do our Instagram also? Um, what would you say are some of the differences between having a professional run your marketing versus like having somebody trying to figure it out? Yeah. I think the number one difference there is probably a pretty obvious one, but just 
the intentionality that you can build, you know, behind that. Like I was saying, you know, a, a step that seems kind of simple, but that people often skip is at the beginning, you know, crafting some kind of marketing strategy. Um, like I was saying, you know, in the, in the digital marketing era, lots of times people just think, okay, you know, or, or even maybe they're familiar with algorithms and they're thinking, okay, what's the best time to post or, you know, what kind of content is getting a lot of engagement right now? That's great, but there's so much more beyond it other than just, you know, throwing some things out on, on social media. Um, and even if you want to stick to digital content, you know, you can't look beyond the importance of, you know, SEO and things like, you know, even blog content, which, you know, seems kind of silly and a little bit outdated, but it makes a huge difference, particularly depending on, you know, what your target audience and your market looks like. Um, so just the intentionality behind it, um, that particular skill set of having a marketing professional or, you know, somebody who even just has a little bit of experience beyond, um, you know, somebody who maybe is still, still learning the game a little bit, um, that really that intentionality of, of mapping things out, um, and being able to, going to use the word everybody's been using after the pandemic, but pivot, right. <laughs> when there are challenges, um, knowing what to do and how you can leverage some of those challenges, maybe to the best of your abilities. Um, having that experience is really helpful in those situations. You know that you can turn to other mediums, you know, if social media, you know, isn't working for you in that minute, you know, there are other avenues you can go to. Um, and going back to the networking, you know, I bet when you went to some of those businesses and you were asking them, why did they choose to invest in, you know, one particular organization over the other, I bet a lot of the root cause of that was because they knew somebody there. That's a huge, huge piece <laughs> of it. Huge piece of it. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think, you know, you really can't overlook that piece of it too, of just that, that connection piece again, that networking piece of going back to somebody knows somebody who knows somebody that can help us solve this problem. And speaking of networking, I'll just plug this really quick. February 23rd at 10 a.m., we are doing a virtual workshop on how to network We'll leave a, a link for you in the show notes to check it out, but it's gonna be a, it's gonna be awesome because I think a lot of times people don't do it because they don't know how to do it, and it can be uncomfortable and awkward. But we're gonna give you some tips to make it make it more natural. One of the things too that I feel, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel was having an an asset of having a professional do it is that they know what metrics to look for. You know, if you have you know, various different platforms that you're trying to market off of. And then you could actually have a professional go in and say, all right, we're getting hits here. We're not getting hits here, but we have, you know, X amount of money, uh, you know, go into these different buckets. And then you know where to pivot to get the most exposure. And yeah. even when it comes to, you know, on like Facebook and Instagram, you know, spon you know, when you sponsor a post or whatever, you, there's a timing aspect of when you want to do it. Mm -hmm. I feel like uh, so often this happens a lot in campaigns and political campaigns is people, you know, will have this awesome post and they'll instantly put, you know, a hundred bucks behind it to boost it. But the the best value is to let it grow organically first. And then you can track how much, you know, traffic is going to that one post, you know, based off of likes, shares, comments, whatever. And then from there, you boost it after it kind of starts going back downhill. Because you obviously know you're hitting your, you know, you're hitting your target market really well. Right. So it's just expand it. Yeah. And just, I think, too, building off of that, right, knowing knowing how those systems work, yeah. right? So knowing that, like, I have a lot of, I freelanced for a while and a lot of groups would have, let's say they, you know, they say, oh, yeah, we have an, you know, we have an Instagram page or we have a, a Facebook page. 
Well, it'd be tied to like, it's just a personal account, for example, on Instagram, as opposed to like a business account. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, then you don't have those handy metrics like on an insights page because you don't, you know, it's not structured like a business, right? Or, you know, they don't know tricks like once when to sponsor, you know, an ad, when to actually invest that money um, or, you know, how to, yeah, how, how to look for those specific metrics and then how to, how to read them and manipulate them. Yeah. Um, there's what's even crazier too. Uh, most of my marketing understanding and background comes from the political side of things. Mm-hmm. And it's funny you brought something up earlier, how you, you studied anthropology and history and now you're in marketing. Yeah. <laughs> so I studied political science and history and instantly went into politics, started working on campaigns and literally nothing that I learned in the political science realm helped me one bit, like one iota in actual campaigning because it's it's literally all marketing. And some of the things that you start to learn that just blew my mind is how how direct you can get with your customers. There's geofencing, there's over-the-top marketing, like all of these super granular things that, I mean, I know about it, but I'm like by no means an expert. I, you know, I couldn't teach a class on it. But having a professional going back to this, you know, this conversation, the question you pose, what's that? What's the value add of hiring someone that knows what they're doing? You can get so direct mm-hmm. with who your customers are. It's it's absolutely mind boggling the way in which technology and social media has created this like new wave and new, you know, future of what marketing can and, and is now currently. Oh yeah. The data is there. You, nuts. <laughs> you just have to know first of all how to access it. Yeah. Yeah. And then how to use it. Yeah, measure what matters. I feel like it's a step a lot of people miss. It's just like, let's take time and look at, we did this thing, let's go back and look, did it work? What worked well? What can we make changes for next time? And how do we measure the impact of the changes that we we made? Which if we're, you talked about it earlier, Tori, but if you're just kind of spitballing things out, trying different things and you don't have a plan involved, you haven't set, you haven't first defined what success looks like. It's hard to know whether or not it actually was successful. Yeah, one of the, you know, going back to what we've been talking about with starting a, a nonprofit, one of the things that we're really working on, um, just as as a team at Mountain West Philanthropy right now, is figuring out how do we like measure our effectiveness and our impact when the things that we're working on are not very easily measurable, right? We're we're working on you know community growth and you know from an like outward mindset initiatives, you know, how do you measure those things? And so we're still trying to create the metrics for figuring that out. And that makes my job very interesting because, you know, we don't have that obvious data to create the benchmarks from of sometimes I don't know, you know, what what target we're shooting for here because we don't know what that growth looks like. We don't know what success looks like. So creating like that's that's something we're really working on right now is looking at evaluation and figuring out what what does impact look like for us in the work that we're doing? And I think a lot of nonprofit organizations struggle with that when it's not so much just like beyond how many people are we serving? How many, you know, how many people are we touching in this, this year? Um, yeah, you got to know, you got to have benchmarks and you got to be able to measure what you're trying to do. <laughs> yeah, something could we've been thinking about that as well. And we're looking at like, how do we measure career growth for people that are part of our programs? How do we measure business growth? Um, should we be tracking like people that are in our programs and then join nonprofit board members? Um, I think part of it is understanding what you want to measure, but then thinking through, okay, how do we actually get this data and make sure it's valid? Right. So, yeah. And a lot of that comes down to self reporting, 
which, you know, has its own challenges. Yeah. So, yeah, it's you have to be creative. 100%. 100%. (laughs) That's a fun challenge, though. All right. I think it's time to move on to the hot seat. So the hot seat, we all have one question we will ask, and we'll all take turns answering each of the questions. I'll, I'll go first. What show on Netflix did you binge watch embarrassingly fast? I'm binge watching one right now. Uh, I'm I consider myself like an amateur critic of TV shows. So if there's a TV show that I think super cheesy and corny, but it has a good storyline, like I can't watch it. Like so particular. There's a show right now that I'm watching called Manifest, and it is so stinking cheesy. But it is so fascinating. Have you seen it? I yes, yeah. It's the storyline is it's insane. Like it's so creative. So, so what are the things about shows that like will be initial? You have to turn it off if, if this happens. You just I like, can't watch this. I mean, it's just it's really just the feel of like a just a cheesy a cheesy show. Okay, I mean, okay. you know, you have the corny lines, you have the corny outtakes, like the, the obvious jokes, and okay, yeah, and it's well, even I th- I think I find it more in like ser- when when shows try to be too serious, and okay. it's like the quality of this show does not like a, like you just can't be serious because it's just so crappy i guess we get it yeah but with funny shows you know like the office like it's corny and you know early on it was kind of low budget you know a low budget show yeah but the corniness of that and the jokes that they have i think you kind of grow to appreciate because it's it's part of that like brand so well Mm -hmm. done yeah okay how about you tori um well speaking of corny i'm kind of embarrassed to admit (laughs) but on netflix i would say the one that i like binged was uh bridgerton hmm like Regency romance. You, okay. Yeah, anyway. Interesting. Haven't seen it. Is it kind of like a, a Downton Abbey kind of thing? Kind of that vibe. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Basically like a, a Regency romance novel, but like, you know. Okay. On the screen. So. Okay. A show that I binge watched way too fast was made, which is like 10. So good. So good. It's about, so heavy though. Yeah. Super like intense and just like made you think about, I don't know, maybe challenge my thought process for sure in a lot of things. But essentially, it's about just trying to like live in poverty and like the challenges people go through. That if you just have a car, you, you don't even think about this, you know, and like trying to like get signed up for government programs that are available, but just having not, don't, not having a computer or your internet gets cut off on your phone. And like, oh wow, just think of these, these little things. But it's based on this character that she is a maid, which is what the show's titled off of. And she's a single parent and talks about like domestic abuse and just like trauma people go through. So it's, it's pretty heavy. And I think like the ongoing analogy is like she's a maid. So she's like cleaning other people's houses up. That's also something that's a common theme in her life where like she's so focused on like other people that she never like steps back and like, takes care of herself yeah. first. I think that's a common thing just in yeah. everyone's life to some degree. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think and they kind of use like the analogy of being a maid to like tell that story. Interesting. At, like a second layer. That was a really powerful show. Yeah. yeah. Really highlighted kind of the the broken systems that yeah. we have. Yeah. yeah. So my wife started watching it and I'm like, all right, I'll check it out with you. And then she falls asleep and I'm like four episodes deep. She's like, how much did you watch last night? I finished it within a week or something. It was embarrassing. Can I change my answer too? Yeah. Is that allowed in the hot seat? Absolutely. Because I haven't actually finished Manifest. So I can't say that I... Okay. Right? But Queen's Gambit. Oh, yeah. That show, have you seen Queen's Gambit? I didn't see that That one. That show's really good. I liked it a lot. I'll just go through Netflix. Like when I get done with the show, like when Taylor and I get done with the show, I'm like, all right, what's next? And I saw you know like just i always read the little 
you know, the little teaser on it. Yeah. And I was like, Taylor's not going to like this, but yeah. I'm, I'm going to binge it. Did she like it? Oh, she didn't like it. She, no, she, she didn't really okay, watch okay. it. But I, I mean, I'd wake up, I wake up early and usually I kind of like my, my morning routine. When I get into a show, I incorporate one episode every morning of whatever show I'm, I'm binging. I'm pretty sure I watched that entire, all of it twice. It's so good. It's really good. You either love it or you hate it though. Yeah. Like, there's no like middle ground. People are like, this is so stupid. How do people like it? And there's people that love it. But yeah. all right, next question. Who wants to go next? I'll go. Okay. Um, so the question that I have here, I'm gonna like alter a little bit because okay. I love to read. There are no rules here. So what's the first book that you ever remember reading that you really enjoyed or that stuck with you for some reason? Mm. I I remember uh, in high school I read The Alchemist. I remember being like, this is like, I never knew a book could give me this experience, like maybe think about my life differently. Um, I'm trying to think, think of, there was one that was earlier than that, but I, I, that might be the answer for me, The Alchemist. I'd say Atlas Shrugged. Mm-hmm. I think it's a big thing that kind of changed my outlook on what I believe in politically. Like, did you read it like in eighth grade? I feel like you're like, <laughs> like in middle school, you're like reading Atlas Shrugged. I can see uh, is that. It is in high school, yeah. Okay. I, but I remember reading that and... I, uh, it didn't really hit me right away on like the like understanding and whatever. And then when I got into college, I read it again. My grandfather got this book for my dad and like wrote a note in it. And then my dad gave it to me. That's and awesome. That's so, so cool. I, and it, it changed kind of his outlook on politics. And yeah, so I would probably say that, That's but awesome. it didn't really hit me until later on. Do I have it up here? Atlas Shrugged? Maybe not. I don't know. But yeah, great book. Yeah, that's a good book. All they right. made a movie about it. It was so bad. I didn't watch the movie. Oh my gosh, it was one, so bad. One of my favorite <laughs> lines is in that book, though. What is it? It's, uh, of course, I'm not going to remember it off the top of my head. I can't remember. It's not verbatim, but it's like someone like gives an opinion about something and someone like fires back and is like, you should really think about the importance and value of your opinions of on to like what other people would think like you should think about the value of that That's, something along those lines but yeah it just struck me because it i don't know i love that i actually have a picture of it in my phone that's awesome from the first time i read it that's awesome words are powerful yes are. yes what's your answer um mine's kind of generic i guess but um my family went over i was like five or six and we went over to england and it was like that was the first time i traveled obviously it was like a big deal and I loved to read even at that age, like was just a super curious kid. And my parents had bought me a couple like just like kids history books while we were over there. And like looking back now, my mom was like, because when I got back, I was like, just fascinated. I was like anything historical, especially about England, because that's where we went, right? I was like, take me to the library. I want to read them. And she always jokes now. She was like, I can't believe like I let you read some of those books. Like they were so like like you know it was about history like gory and like yeah yeah, just like very honest and but i was just like sold like from that point on like i just like was fascinated with humanity and history Mm -hmm. and yeah that's awesome thank you we're gonna have a we have to have a post conversation about history after this let's do it i would love that um okay mine i have a stack here and i i think i found the right one when you die what do you want to be remembered for what do I want to be remembered for? Um, in helping others. Yeah. Okay. Is that a pretty simple answer? Yeah, but it's, it's a good answer. Okay. Yeah. Simplicity is a good thing. Awesome. And having clean white shoes. <laughs> <laughs>
You have yours on? I don't. It's like the first day this week that I haven't wore white sneakers. That's like the unofficial emerging leader dress yeah. code. We kind of want to like sneakers. I missed the memo, guys. Yeah, oh no, we did. We haven't communicated this yet, okay. but we're but we are now. Through it. So, so there's expectations. You saw my white sneakers at the retreat. They were not yes. that clean. Well, they're no, not that bad though. You know, we were the beach. at the beach. Yeah, so. we're at the beach. You know what the trick is? If you get like leather ones, put uh, wax, like clear wax over it. Really? Yeah, and then you clean it off and then put another coat on. Yeah. Right. I didn't. I didn't know that. That's a good yeah. one to know. But only in leather shoes. Doesn't like work with canvas. I don't think that well. Because I think of parting part of building community is like having like unofficial rules that are kind of like white shoes on Wednesday, right? Just like silly stuff like that. I think would be fun. Well, on Wednesdays we wear pink though. Wednesdays right. we wear pink. Oh, that's right. Mean girls. Zach knows what's up. Yeah. All right. What was the? Uh, I forgot the question. Oh, to be remembered for it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm gonna kind of piggyback off of that answer, but um, yeah, I. I would love for people to think of me and have just think that I helped make their life easier in some way that they're, and even if it's like just a small, small thing, but I would love to know that in some small way I made somebody's day brighter or their life a little easier. I like that. I think if I would like to be remembered for being like charismatic, I think the value of that is when, you're charismatic in a group of people. You can make others kind of picking back off both of your guys's in a way. Um, but you can, you can f- make people feel more comfortable, make them feel welcomed and, you know, a part of a group or whatever. And I think there's a lot of value to that because, you know, the, the, you know, the impact that it has down the road, I think super valuable for people, just building up other people's confidence. And I think it's easy to do that when, you're willing to go up and talk to anybody and like introduce yourself and hear them for who they are and ask the right questions and just let them speak to you and listen and whatnot. So I think being charismatic. That's good. That's a good one. So Tori, we are so grateful. And on this show, we make it a priority to make sure people know how much we appreciate them, how much their community appreciates them. The entire team at Mountain West Philanthropy is doing amazing work. And I know you play a big role in making sure the, uh, the messaging gets out there. And so, thank you so much. I know your husband. I know his brothers. And I think a couple of them might be a little mad that you were on the podcast before they were. <laughs> <laughs> you just got to get them on now. Yeah, now we got to get we got to get them on as well. But we appreciate you being here. Thank My you, pleasure. Tori. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. You just got done listening to the Salem Emerging Leader Podcast, and we appreciate it. If you look in the show notes, you will find a link. If you click on that link, you'll be able to s- subscribe to the Salem Emerging Leader Newsletter. We want you to be in touch with all the incredible things that are happening in this city because of people like you. We appreciate you. I hope you have a good day.